of handouts tonight or, or any of that, I'm, I'm terrible. I've been put to shame by these guys teaching on Sundays. Uh, Bruce and Jill bring 17-slide uh, PowerPoints. I mean, they just look fantastic. And, uh, and then Brother Paul does a great job, too. So I, I'm just I'm slacking. You guys are going to have to give me some grace. All right. Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, I want to uh, read verse 11. Let's do 11 through 15. I think that's what we'll need. And uh, tonight... Just so I can overwhelm you from the very beginning, I wanted to title this lesson, Never Done. Never Done. Okay? Just want to overwhelm you from the beginning. Never Done. Verse, I feel like there's commentary going on over here. And uh, we're going to have to, we're going to put a mic on you if you don't stop. All right. <laughs> That's good, actually. That's good. Yeah. Ephesians 4 and 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Everybody read that next word with me. Say it real loud. I'm going to teach on till tonight. I'm going to teach on till. Right till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's a power-packed scripture right there in case you didn't know it. That we henceforth, from this moment on, that we henceforth, be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Everybody say winds. Everybody say blown off course. Blown off course. By the slide of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But instead, I'm, that's, I'm inserting that word, but that's really what he's saying. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Everybody say, never done. And I'll try to be brief, Rich. I'll try to be brief. I, uh, one of the first jobs I ever had, real jobs, was at Bundy Tubing. And uh, long story short, they made brake lines for Mitsubishi when they were making Mitsubishi cars out there. Anybody remember when that was a Mitsubishi plant? Well, they had all kinds of, you know, little uh, vendors around them, and one of them was Bundy Tubing. They made all the brake lines. And my job was to glue, one of my jobs was to glue uh, these little pads. I assume they went on the frame somewhere. These little pads, it was a group of, of, of tubes that got put together by a machine, and then I had to glue all these little pads on. I remember that job, Brother Kevin. I hated that job. I remember it so much because I hated it so much. And the reason was not because it wasn't interesting to do. It was actually kind of cool to see how that those, these big old tubes, these little tubes, those brake lines came through in a little bunch, and they went through this machine, and it grouped them all together, bent them all exactly the way that they needed it for the car. And, uh, and I got to deal with this, all, all these cool tools. I could reach up and do it. 
But here's the thing. Neil, when I got done with one set of tubes, there was another one waiting on me. And it was really cool for about 30 minutes. Then after 30 minutes, I realized there's more tubes than I have patients. And so for eight hours a day, I'd glue, they'd stamp it together, glue the pads on. Stamp it together, glue the pads on. Anybody ever had a job like that? Anybody? Maybe one of your first jobs? I remember, so then, I, you know, I worked some other jobs, but then I finally got on State Farm, right? That was my goal. I needed to work at State Farm. I got a career job now. You know what my first job was? Mounting tapes. Do you know what we did? We'd take tapes and we'd go and we would mount them into that. Back then, we didn't have super, well, they did, but they were literally supercomputers. They filled this room, right? So they would have, instead of having small little drives or a hard drives somewhere, they had big disk drives and we had big tapes and we would load these tapes in there. And, uh, and my job was to go out and find a tape and put the tape in the drive. And then the next thing I would do is I would go and find a tape and then I would put it in the drive. And then the next thing I would do, is everybody get what I'm saying? Eight hours a day. Never, there is nothing worse. Tell me if I'm telling the truth. There's nothing worse than a job that never seems to get done. Is anybody like me, you like to check the box and say, okay, that's done, that's completed. Anybody? Raise your hand. Come on, be proud. Bruce, I know it's you. You drive me nuts sometimes, some days, trying to check your boxes. Hallelujah. So I, I get that. I understand that I'm the same way. It's frustrating. And I, I realized as a young Christian, I was thinking about back about this when I was looking at this lesson, putting this lesson together. I was thinking about uh, years Years ago, as a young Christian, when I say young Christian, I was not only a Christian, but I was also very young. And so when I say young Christian, I mean a young Christian. I learned this at a very young age. I had this concept that, and maybe it was childish just because of how young I was. I had this concept that, you know, once you got the Holy Ghost, that that was kind of it. You know, that was the thing. You get to, in fact, I was kind of taught that, to be honest with you. Not, not wrongly, I'm not... I'm not pointing at anybody or anything like that. I'm just, that's kind of the way it was. You, you get the Holy Ghost and you kind of made it. Thank you, Paul, for nodding, because you know what I'm talking about, right? You kind of made it. And I remember, I remember that it didn't take too long for me to figure out, you know what? Um, uh, this is not done. The Holy Ghost was not the last thing that I needed to do. In fact, there's a bunch of other stuff now that needs to happen because of the Holy Ghost. So as I was taught and as I experienced my journey in Christ, I came to realize that, that as it is with Bundy Tubing and as it is with State Farm, that there, the, the work of growing in Christ is never done. There is always another challenge. There is always another field that's got to be conquered in your life. I realize as a young man that today's victory is nothing more than a launching pad for the next challenge. Don't, don't enjoy it too long because there's another step that you need to take. Somebody say amen. If you've been around for at least five years, say amen. And if you're within five years, trust me on this. Trust me on this. There's going to come more challenges and more hurdles and there's going to come more road to travel. So it is with God. It will never be done. James talks about a person 
that, that lives for God only in concept and never reality, okay? And he talks about a person like that, and he says that's like a person who, who knows a lot but can't do or put, put, make the rubber meet the road, okay? With all the knowledge that they have, they know a lot, but they're, not, they're, a, they're a hearer of the word, right? Everybody know where I'm at in the scripture now? They're a hearer of the word, but they're not a doer of the word. And here's, how he, here's a picture he paints for us there. He said, that's like a man that looks at himself in a mirror, but as soon as he walks away, he forgets what manner of man that he is. He literally, he said he's like a person that can't remember what they look like. And so it is with someone that only lives for God in concept and not reality. Concept is, okay, yeah, this is all true. Concept is, I believe all this. Concept is, yes, this is all right. Reality is invoking it in your life. Amen? Everybody with me? That's reality. That's the reality of Christ in our lives, the word of God alive in our lives. But, but, but obviously James faced this himself and he looked at people in his church and he said, I just got some folks, I'm not saying I do, but James had, all right? James said, I've got folks that can't remember who they are. You know, they look into the word of God and, and the word of God is our mirror, amen? Amen? The word of God is our mirror and as we look into the word of God, it really shows us who we really are. It's, we see ourselves what we are, but we forget. As, as long as your attention is on God and his word, the work of being like him is never going to be done. When you get, when you get to the place where you feel like, okay, I've finally conquered that thing, or I've taken that step, or I've grown to that level, I promise you there is going to be more for you to do. Everybody say more. Now, there's an important word in our text, and it's really what I want to teach you about tonight for just a little while, Rich, just a little while. I want to teach about this important word, till, till. Now, I, I know Paul is saying, look, you got all these things. You got pastors. I'm teaching tonight. You got teachers. You got all these tools that I have prepared, but they're all there for these very specific reasons. And then he says, till. He gives us three truths about that word till. Till gives you the impression that there's a process going on. Till gives you the impression that there's a threshold to be met. Till gives you the idea that there's a goal that you should be striving for. Everybody say till. If, he, if there, was no, there was nothing to strive for, he wouldn't have said till. He said, I've given you all these things till, and then he gave us three things, till, we came to the unity of the faith, unity, until that we attain oneness among ourselves in the faith, till we come to the knowledge, the complete knowledge of God, the, the complete, the comprehension of all the full and accurate knowledge of God. Everybody say till. Till we become a perfect man. That, uh, that we would arrive, that really means to arrive at maturity or the completeness of personality, which is compared or measured in nothing less than the standard or the height of Christ's own completeness. King James says, the fullness of the stature of Christ. 
the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What does that mean? I got a simple definition. That means when my actions, my decisions, I'm talking about you and talking about me, when our actions, when our decisions, when our reactions, when our motives, when our words, when our passions, when our appetites are his and not ours. That is the fullness. That's the measure of the fullness, the stature of the fullness of Christ. When all those things are not just like him, they are his. Everybody understand what I'm saying? My appetites are not my appetites anymore. They're his appetites. My passions are not his passions anymore. They're are my passions anymore. They are his. My, my direction, my motive, it is not mine anymore. It is Christ. I am like him. Now, if you're sitting there and you're envisioning, because of the stories that I showed, tubes keep coming down the line and tapes that never stop coming, then you're getting a good idea of what it means to live up to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. Everybody say, never done. When I read that, that's a powerful scripture. When I read that scripture, I realize very quickly how much work I have to do. Anybody else? Don't leave me up here by myself. Thank you, Brother Bruce. I realize how far away from Jesus I am. How far my motives can be. How far my actions can be from Christ's actions. My thoughts from his thoughts. My ideas from his ideas. My words from the words that he spoke or speaks. My passions, appetite. Well, how much, how much are we gunning for here? Uh, you know, 50%, will that do 75? No, all of it. The fullness, everybody say fullness. We are looking, Christ is trying to pull us and we are on a journey to be like him and we are not done until all of us and all of us when i say us i mean all of us all of me is like him that means i got a lot of work to do and that means i'm never going to be done this is counter flesh this whole idea this is countercultural to look for what's wrong in you we're not taught that it's not that's not what Mainstream media or mainstream culture teaches you. Mainstream culture teaches you and tries to train, and especially this millennial generation coming up, is trying to train them that they are gods unto themselves. That's really what they're trying to train them. That they're defined by themselves. They can be whatever they want to be. They can say whatever they want to say. And it's right. And nobody should challenge it or question it. That is the culture that we live in right now. And it doesn't help that our own flesh fights against us in this too. Flesh does not want to be exposed. Anybody found that out for yourself? That there's nothing in my flesh that wants, in fact, what's the scripture say? That we, it is enmity, it's hatred against God. It doesn't want to be exposed. Doesn't want to be like him. So we've got a lot of things. We're swimming upstream a little bit here. I, I, I used to develop software. You know what software developers do? They try to break it. Whatever they're making, they try to break it. Because here's why. Because they know it's going to get broken. 
Somebody's going to break it. So they try to break it before somebody else does. It's kind of a weird thing. In the middle of creation, it doesn't fit with the idea of creating or becoming, does it? Creating, becoming, that means we make new things. We don't break things. We fix things. We create things. It works. But, but, but when it comes to our walk with God, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to do an inward look inside of us for the broken things that are still there. Look at your neighbor and say, you still have some broken things. Tell them. Bust their bubble right now. Chase, you haven't made it. I'm sorry, buddy. Okay? There's still some broken things. But, but God tells long stories, amen? And your story is one of those stories that he tells. So, so here's what I'm trying to maybe communicate tonight. There has got to be, this is what I felt to teach, that there has got to be an intentional, intentional, continual, and this is the word that came to my mind, interrogation of our flesh on a daily basis. Let me say that again. There must be, a, the, the journey of growing in Christ is developing the guts to have an intentional, continual interrogation of your flesh. Every day. David said this, Psalms 139 and 23, search me, O God. That's one of the gutsiest prayers you could ever pray, if you really mean it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Explore it. Try me. Test me. Know my thoughts and see. In so many words, he says, show me the wicked ways within me and lead me in the way of everlasting. There, I, I love David's prayer, and I, I know it was specifically about a very specific sin, but, but these words captured my mind this week too. He said, I, I acknowledge my transgressions. That's a great place to start. I, I acknowledge my transgressions and, and then he makes this statement, and my sin is ever before me. It's in front of my eyes. I, I, I'm not trying to ignore it. I'm not trying to cast it aside, at least at this moment in his life. David was at a point where he said, my sin is not something that I can escape. There was this intentional inward look to see what is not like God inside me. So what's this look like in reality? Well, remember, let's go back for a minute. Or maybe I missed it. Hold on. No, I, I said it. Okay. Remember, so the, what does it mean to have the fullness of Christ or the stature of the fullness of Christ? When my actions, when my decisions, when my reactions, when my motives, when my words when my passions and appetites are his and not mine. So what does that look like? Well, uh, let, let's just take a couple of them. W what is an attitude? Do you have one right now? Does everybody have an attitude right now? Some of you look at me like you have an attitude right now. What's an attitude? State of mind, okay? Anybody else? What's an attitude? How you feel about something. Thank you, Sister Bridget. That's good, yeah. Anybody else? If it's bad, yeah. 
Absolutely. Say it again. You don't like what I'm saying? Well, just hold on. I'll say something good and then. <laughs> okay. Here, here's what Webster will say. Webster says an attitude is a settled, and you all hit it, a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something. And typically, almost always, that's reflected in that person's behavior. So in other words, it's how you feel, it's how you act, it's how you think about someone or something that gets out in your behavior. In the Bible, many times, the smallest, the word spirit is used, such as Proverbs 25, that says, a man that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Or a man that has no rule over his own attitude is like a city that is broken down and without walls. So what do you do when you're trying to get your attitude to match up to the complete stature of Christ? What happens? Because you've got them all day long, don't you? You've got attitudes about people. You've got attitudes about things. You've got attitudes about organizations. You've got attitudes about situations. You've got settled ways of thinking about things or people. So how do you measure that up to Christ? How, does the, how do your attitudes, let me just ask you, with all the attitudes that you had today, how do they measure up to Christ? Don't answer, just think. Okay, some are like, eh, I don't know. Okay, if you're honest, we're all going, oh, I'm not sure, every attitude. So what's that look like? Ask this, does it measure up? Is my settled way of thinking or feeling about him or her or that, and that I know is gonna show in my behavior, is it like Jesus? Would Jesus have this sort of attitude? Would, would he think like I'm thinking right now? Would, would, he, would he feel like I'm feeling right now? And a lot of times the question, the, the answer really is probably not. Probably not. Does it measure up to Jesus? I, have any of you, I, I've talked to folks um, and you know, maybe we're talking about a problem in their life or something like that. And uh, I'm a pastor. Uh, I read the Bible. And so when people have problems, I just try to, you know, point them to Jesus. That's kind of what pastors do. And so I was, I was talking to someone one time and I said, hey, um, you know, and they were telling me about, and they were really just explaining their attitude about some things that were going on. And I said, well, here's the deal. Um, Jesus did X, Y, and Z. And it was amazing. It's amazing. And you've had people say this. They say, oh, oh, you're gonna bring, you're gonna spiritualize, you're gonna bring Jesus into it, huh? <laughs> and Brother Paul, I said, Yes. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Because the last time I checked, we call ourselves Christians and we're Christ-like. And the last time I checked, I think that's what we're supposed to be doing. I think we're supposed to be taking what we're facing and the attitudes that we're dealing with and the things that we're, we're, we're going through and we're supposed to be pulling Jesus into the conversation and saying, well, wait a minute. Well, in fact, here's what I say. 
I think things would be better for you. Could I counsel everyone here tonight? I think things would be better for you all the way around if you would stop and say, would Jesus think this? Would Jesus want me to say this? Is this a godly attitude, feeling, words? Is this anger something that should be here? Is this emotion something that has the right motive? So, so when you start looking, do you understand what I'm saying tonight? I feel like I'm just, listen, you've got to have a daily interrogation of your spirit to measure it up to Christ. What about, so you got to ask, is it like Jesus? What about our actions and reactions? Our behavior and interaction with other people. You gotta ask, do you have buttons? Do people know where those buttons are? Did they push them today? Don't, don't look at your husband or not. Right? In fact, some of, here's the crazy thing. The people that you're closest to know those buttons the best, don't they? Yeah, yeah, and, and they're usually ones that just cut their fingers all over them, right? So, so when those times happen, do, do, what do I do with that? Does, does Jesus, did, did Jesus have buttons? Righteous indignation, sure, okay? But I'm talking about the way we have buttons. I know you, you got all spiritual on us, see? You're to be like Jesus. You know, sure, overthrowing money changers in the temple. You know, this is a house of prayer. I get that, all right? But, but did Jesus get really offended and go off on people because they called him names? He was kind of the opposite of that. He was kind of, you know what, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, that sort of thing. Now, do I do that? Do I do that with my wife? She's in a nursery tonight. I can talk freely. I do that with my wife. Forgive her, Lord. She doesn't know that she's aggravating the living daylights out of me. I could say that because I aggravate the living daylights out of her. Trust me, there's no problem with that. So we got to look at our actions and very importantly, our reactions. What about our passions? Talking about trying to measure all this up according to Christ. How about our passions? The things that I am given to, either naturally or learned, because you can develop passions, and desires and appetites. Somebody say amen. amen. Right? You can develop those. And then there's some things you're just given to. It's because you have a natural talent that way. Or a natural interest that way. Or you were raised in that part of, you know, Brother Neil makes everything maple. I thought about him. I got a maple candy. I thought Neil would love this. He loves everything maple because of where he came from. All right? Sometimes even our background will, will develop passions and appetites in us. But are those things that I'm given to and have appetite for, are, are, are they, can, can I measure those up against you? What would Jesus think about what I'm pursuing right now? What, not would, what does Jesus think? about what I'm pursuing right now. What does he think about what I'm investing in right now? Are you talking about money? Okay, sure. Sure, let's talk about money. What, what do you invest your money? Would, 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 would Jesus want you to 
Handle your money the way you're handling your money right now. Would he want you to make those financial decisions? And what about, what about not money? All the other things you're investing in, your time, your efforts. Are these things, Jesus, here, here's what you ask her. What am I consumed with? And would Jesus be consumed with this? What am I consumed with? And would Jesus ever be consumed with it at all? What about motives? Everybody say motive. Motive is you're just real simple. It's just your reason for doing something. It's your reason for doing something. It's the purpose behind your behavior. Why do you say what you say? Why do you do what you do? Why do you write it? Why do you share it? I'm not saying right or wrong. My question is, what is your motive? And the question you ask yourself is this. Is my reason behind what I do selfish, self-serving, or is it selfless? Because Jesus was never selfish. Jesus was never self-serving. He was selfless. And so when you start examining motives, why am I serving? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it really for the Lord? Is it really for others? Is it really? And I'm not, I'm not, tell, I'm not saying uh, there's a big problem here. I'm saying this is a continual interrogation. And I got to tell you, I, I, I'm, this is on me. I, this is what God's been dealing with me about in my life. You got to interrogate yourself every single day. What's your motive for doing that? What's your motive for making that decision? What's your motive for saying that? What's your motive for posting that? Why? Are you doing it? What's your reason? And the reason should be the kingdom when you're a Christian, amen? Here, here's the point to all of this, and I hope this is coming through. The point to all of this is we should all, always have a personal spiritual growth project going on. Do you understand what I'm saying? You ought to be working on something whether it's getting rid or holding on to something, whether it's attaining or letting go, however it, however it makes you like Christ, whatever it is, but everybody, there should never be a time in your life. It's never done. There's too many tubes. There's too many issues. There's too many attitudes. There's too many things. There's too many ways. You should always be working on that next thing. Everybody say that next thing. Well, what is that next thing? Well, that's a beautiful thing. It's different for every person. It's probably different for a seasoned saint, an elder that's been down the road for a while than it is for somebody that's maybe brand new trying to figure out how to spell Jesus, okay? It's probably a little bit different. But then again, longevity does not mean equal maturity, okay? So, so here's the thing. We all should have that next thing that we're working on, that victory. And when you get it, and you're gonna get it, if you'll stay next to Jesus, if you'll compare to Jesus, if, you, if you'll measure yourself up against the stature of the fullness of Christ, I promise you, that's going to pan out good for you. But when it does, don't dance too long because there's something else that you need to go after. There's something else in your spirit. There's something else in your attitude. There's something else in your flesh that needs 
to die. Some of you are thinking this stuff right now. In fact, in fact, probably there are some, and this is just the law of averages, all right? I'm not discerning anything here. I'm just saying in a group this size and with a topic like this, there's somebody in this room that's saying, you know what, that's been there too long. It's been there too long and I haven't worked on it. So you need to hear the teacher tonight and you need to take counsel and wisdom and realize that God has your best interest and he's trying to talk to you tonight and tell you it's time to go back to work. And you're better off working on the things he talks to you about. And that was for free. That's just extra. So you got to ask yourself, what is the next thing that needs to change to be like him? Would you write that down? Listen, that's the whole lesson right there. And if you don't get anything else, just write that down. Take that home and pray that. Okay, I'm gonna say some more things and I hope they're good, but that is going to be something you need to remember, all right? Ask you, yeah, I'm gonna repeat it right now. What's the next thing that needs to change in me to be like Jesus? What's the next thing? What's the next thing on the agenda? When you get done with that, you're gonna ask yourself that again and there's gonna be a continual interrogation and you're gonna find yourself on a journey, a successful one of being like Jesus. So there's a, that was a very important word in our text, till. Everybody say till. Yeah. All right? So we're going on this process, till. But there's another important word in our lesson, and that is the word for. Ephesians 4 and 12. Why are we doing this? Here's what he said. For, there's actually three fours. I know that sounds strange, but there are. There's three fours. Okay? For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. And for the edifying of the body of Christ. Three fours for the perfecting of the saints. So, so this growth, this process of being like him is in order. It's really, this is God. Now, he is going to finish the job in us. Amen? Okay? He is going to finish. Now in him, he is able, I'm confident he is able to finish the good work that he started. He will finish. It is for the perfection, the complete, the completion of the saints. It's in order for God to finish the job started in you. The second four refers to for the work of the ministry. And so this spiritual, this, this journey where you're little by little knocking off things that are not like God, there's a purpose behind it, okay? Number one, to finish the job of salvation in your life. Number two, for the work of the ministry, it's in order to enable you to do the work of God's kingdom. I don't know if you know this or not, but you're being groomed. You're being set up. You're being enabled. Part of growth, spiritual growth, puts you in a place where you can serve the kingdom and serve it differently and better the more that you grow. So it's for the work of the ministry. And the third four is for the edifying of the body. So, and we've talked about this before, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time, but the stronger Brother Paul is, the stronger that table is full of people, okay? And the stronger Brother Dave is, the stronger now this area is. The more strength we get in individuals, the stronger the church becomes. Everybody understand that? Okay, it's only as strong as its weakest link, right? So the more, the more strength we get across the congregation, collectively, the higher the church goes, the better, the stronger the church is. Would everybody agree with that? Okay, so, so we've all got a reason and a purpose. We're pulling, 
We're pulling each other up, even with our own growth. I've talked about that before. I don't want to go over it too much. But here is it. It's for the edifying of the body. So, so here's what you get from that. The more you grow, the more built up the church becomes. Amen? Okay. That, so those three fours, perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body. That, we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Everybody say wind. Winds that carry us off course. He said, when you are mature, it's like a little, you know, we, got, we had some bad weather and, uh, I, uh, at the campground last week. And for the first time in my life, I've never been in wind this strong. For the first time in my life, I, I thought I was gonna be swept off my feet. I was actually in a golf cart racing for cover. And I, I thought, I really, I really did. I thought, I'm gonna die in a tornado. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna die. This, this is how it's gonna end, Lord. I, you know. uh, but I really thought I, that was just gonna pick, pick that cart up and just hurl us backwards. It didn't. The Lord helped us. I'm here. Praise the Lord. Okay? But, but this is the idea. If you can imagine, you know, I'm, I'm a 52-year-old man, and I weigh 100, none of your business pounds, all right? So, so that wind couldn't, and, and then I was in about a 1,000-pound golf cart. So that wind couldn't move me, but we were moving kids this big. And I got to thinking the danger, those kids, I mean, that wind would have just blown them over like, like bowling pins. And this is the idea that comes to my mind. I'm like, this is exactly what Paul is talking about. People that refuse to mature and refuse to consecrate and kill their flesh, and they're still little children. And so all it takes is just enough wind, and they get blown over. Now, he was specifically talking about false doctrine and, and false truth, but I got to think about all the other winds that blow people over, about all the other things that people, because they will not or refuse to mature, yes, false doctrine and truth can come in and confuse people. Problems, problems. I, I get so mad at the devil. He knows he knows how to, how to deal and make problems and amplify them, especially with people who are not mature. Conflicts. You ever seen the wind of conflict blow somebody off course? They were doing so good. Everything was fine. They were spiritual. They were in the altars. They were fine. But the just the right conflict came. And then all of a sudden now everything's falling apart. Everybody say wins. Disagreements. You ever had a fight with somebody that affected your spiritual life? You don't want to admit it because they're sitting right there? Wins, distractions. He said, when we're mature like this, when we start measuring ourselves up to the measure of the full stature of Christ, I know, I know nobody wants to hear this, but you gain weight. Okay, I'm talking about spiritual weight. You gain weight. I know y'all want to be skinny, but listen, you want to be fat in Jesus. You hear me? You want weight that when winds come, they can't move you. Because wind's coming. And it's already blowing, right? The, the, the analogy here he's using is where you can't fight the wind. Winds are going to come. Winds are part of nature. They're going to happen. But can you stand in the middle of that? Rather, he said in verse 15, let our lives, this is the amplified version. 
He says, let's speak the truth in love. But the Amplified says this, let our lives lovingly lives. Everybody say lives. Lives. Say my life. Let my life lovingly express truth in all things, speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly. Enfolded in love. Let's grow up in every way and in all things into him who is the head, even Christ. Grow up in every way in Christ Jesus. Now, let me end tonight by saying this. Everybody say till. Everybody say for. So we talked about the till, the process, and then we talked about the reason, the for. It's for those three things. Now, here's what I'm gonna tell you. This process I'm talking about, I believe in 100%, this is eternal. This is eternal. Now, I believe you got, if you're gonna, if you're gonna go to heaven, you gotta repent. You gotta be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And you are promised you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that is obedience to the gospel. But let me just tell you, I think there are people that are going to obey the gospel and still be lost. You can say what you want to. But when I read my Bible, I, let me, some of the most concerning scriptures to me are in Matthew 25. When, when Jesus starts telling, he, he's telling parables and he's, he's preaching stories and they're all really have the same theme. And the theme is this, people who thought they were okay, but they really weren't. Virgins who all thought they were in the right place, but they were un, some of them were unprepared. A servants who thought he had all the right stuff, but he did nothing with what God gave him. And he was unprepared. You, you, you read stories about the right hand versus the left hand. All in one group, but a separation's coming. You, he tells the story of sheep versus goats. All in one group, but a separation's coming. And then I, I read Jesus and he, I read, I read his, his words in Matthew 7 where he starts talking about fruit and trees. He said, you, you'll know people by their what? He said, men don't gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good. He, he gives us the facts about fruit. Every good trees give you good fruit. Bad trees give you bad fruit. A good tree can't give you bad fruit, and a bad tree can't give you good fruit. And, and here's the other fact. Every tree that can't bring good fruit forth is cut down and cast in the fire. So then he says, let me say it again. By your fruits, by their fruits, you'll know them. And then he makes this statement. I'm gonna, scare is not the right word, but concern. It makes me stand up and pay attention. Let me just say that. Jesus says this. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. So you're telling me people can pray the right prayers and, and, and they, can, they can be in the right place and they can attend and they can do all that. But he said, no, no, no. Not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. It's, it's the ones that do. Everybody say do. do. He said, many will say to me, Lord, have we not prophesied in the name? Look at all the experiences we've had in your house. And 
Look, look all the times we've been to church, we prophesied in your name. In thy name, we've even cast out devils. Thy name, we've done wonderful works. But here is the problem. He said, I'll profess to them, depart from me. And here's the issue. I never knew you. This process I'm talking about is not just measuring up. It's getting to know who Jesus is. And the more you become like him, the more you know him. Does that make sense? And it is entirely possible for a person to obey the gospel and have a supernatural experience, but refuse to walk the journey that the Holy Ghost opens up for them and be lost. So I'm teaching you tonight, don't be that person. Don't think that because you warm a pew in this church that that's all that's required. You've got a daily walk in which you must interrogate yourself and decide, is the thing that I'm doing, saying, acting, whatever, does it bear witness with the Holy Ghost that God has filled me with? Does it measure up to the full stature of Jesus? Now, I'm not trying to tonight, please, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say we should live in fear, but we should live in fruit. Amen? I worked hard on that. I just, <laughs> not, nod, nod like, like, mm, yeah, yeah, okay. Okay? But, but honestly, we should be living in fruit. If you're still struggling with the same thing, and it's been years, listen to pastor. You need to get serious and give God that thing. You shouldn't be at the same spot. Look at, hey, listen, I don't, so it's not so heavy. Look at everybody at your table and say, you should not be at the same spot. You should not be at the same spot. You need to be growing. You need to be going. Amen. And you are never done. You're never done. Only when you hear, here's the only done that you can look for. Well done. Okay? Well done. And, and, and you're like, well, you know, and let me just say this too. If, if you have struggles, I didn't mean to make anybody feel bad. If you have struggle, just know this. Stay faithful. You keep going after it because faithfulness, faithfulness is what we will be judged with. Faithfulness. Now consider, listen, I just feel to say, okay, you look at that parable that Jesus told Matthew 25, the parable of talents. Remember that? Four, two, and one. One servant got four. One servant got two. One servant got one. The guy that had four, he did something with it. He was faithful, right? I mean, he had it all together. He was a four-talent guy, all right? Big deal. Maybe it's five. Was it five? It's five. I'm sorry. Okay, it's five. So, Bible quizzer, I know. Yeah, you're like, five! Yeah, okay? He had it all together. He's a five-talent guy. And he took that five talents, Bruce. He was a Bruce Melder, man. And he turned it into five more. And he showed up with 10. And what did, what did, what did his master say? Well done. well done. Two. Two. That's a pitiful guy like me, all right? Two. I Man, I'm just trying. I'm slob, trying to do their job, you know, that sort of thing. Two. But the, the guy with two, he shows up, and he's got four now. And what did the master say? The one said, I knew you were austere, man. I knew, I knew, I knew this was valuable. I knew this for it, so I hit it. And he called him what? What did he call him? Anybody remember? Wicked, slothful, 
lazy servant. Folks, listen. If you don't think that God will hold you accountable for this great truth and power and gospel that he's invested into your life, you are sadly mistaken. We gotta show up. And when we show up, he's not asking ones to be fives or twos to be sixes or tens. What he's saying, he said, Chase, I need you to be Chase and I need you to bring me what I've invested in you. And I need you to, I need you to work on it, okay? I need you to bring more. Everybody say more. more. Faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word tonight. I thank you for this great group of people. I know their heart is towards you. I know, Lord Jesus, you love them very much and they love you. I pray, Lord, God, that when we, when we get up and our feet hit the floor in the morning, God, that we would begin to interrogate like David and say, search me, O Lord. See if there be any wicked way in me. God, I acknowledge my transgressions, this sin, the God, the challenges, the things that are not like you, Lord. They are ever present in front of me. I refuse to put them behind me. I keep them in front of my eyes. And one by one, with the power of your spirit, we're gonna knock these things down and we're gonna become more like you. And in doing so, we will know you. We will know you better with each and every challenge. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming to Bible study tonight. Please don't forget this Sunday. This Sunday, we are introducing small groups. All right? This Sunday, you're not going to be able to hardly leave this place without at least um, uh, investigating small groups. Our foyer and um, our carport are going to be filled with tables, some small groups that we're setting up. Everybody say connect. We need to connect with each other. And this is just another opportunity, another way to do that. I'm going to be preaching about it on Sunday. You're going to have opportunity to join small groups. And maybe you'll find out, and I'll say this too, maybe you'll find out there's one that we're missing. And you're like, man, I'd really like to start one. We're, we want to see you too, all right? But this Sunday, small group, small group connection Sunday. We're going to have our connection class going to have service, and we're going to have small groups sign up, and you're going to love it, all right? Look at somebody and say, I'm going to love it. God bless you. Go in Jesus' name.